This is Tim Benall of BenallofAmerica.com with another edition of BOA Audio Season 4. Before we dive into this week's episode, let me give a quick shout-out and congratulations to the USofE.com member, Clan Denon, who won the official USofE Oscar Pick'em Contest, the prize being this shout-out here at the beginning of the program. Clan Denon, once again, a winner in a prediction contest. He is a force in prognostication of pop culture. If you'd like to be a part of such fun contests, which include the prize here that is the shout-out, you definitely want to stop by and join the official BOA forum, the US of E.com, T-H-E-U-S-O-F-E.com. Once again, congratulations to Clan Denon for winning the Oscar Pick'em contest. This week on the program, we are joined by longtime friend of BOA Audio, one of the very first guests we ever had on the program, the crackpot historian himself, Adam Gorightly. Adam's going to be talking about his new book, James Shelby Downard's Mystical War. Fascinating piece of work, really sheds light on a mysterious esoteric researcher from the heyday of conspiracy writing, James Shelby Downard and rediscovers a number of very interesting and bizarre theories that many of you may not have heard about before but have been tinkering around in my brain for quite a while after I'd read some of the work of James Shelby Downard's protege, Michael Hoffman. We'll get into all that. You'll know who we're talking about and what these theories are as you listen to the program. Let me give you a little bit of a thumbnail look at what we're going to be discussing tonight. We're going to find out why Adam ended up researching the life of James Shelby Downard, and we're going to hear about his exhaustive quest to determine whether or not Downard was a real person or a literary hoax. This is some riveting and thought-provoking material with regards to the reality of James Shelby Downard. We're also going to cover a number of arcane, esoteric stories, the Fatty Arbuckle scandal, how it relates to esoteric symbolism, the much-discussed King Kill 33 JFK assassination theory, which is the brainchild of James Shelby Downard, mystical toponymy, ritual magic, the infamous Babylon working group, and the stories of their creation of a homunculus, the revelation of method, synchro-mysticism, and a plethora of other really heady esoteric topics. It is definitely an interview that sheds light on some of the paranormal world's darkest corners, with the always entertaining Adam Gorightly. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Adam Gorightly, you must not have heard him on the lengthy two-part interview in Season 1. Definitely want to go back and check that out as we discuss some of Adam's earlier work. But if you don't have time for that, let me give you the bio of Adam Gorightly here so you can dive into this week's program. A self-described crackpot historian, Adam Gorightly has been chronicling fringe culture and conspiracy politics in an illuminated manner for more than two decades. An active contributor to the zine revolution of the late 80s and early 90s, Adam's byline was a familiar sight 
in many cutting-edge magazines of the period, where he sharpened his literary teeth penning articles on the paranormal, conspiracies, and fringe culture. His explorations into these arcane waters eventually led to his first book, published in October 2001, The Shadow Over St. Susanna, Black Magic, Mind Control, and the Manson Family Mythos, which has been described as the mother of all Manson family tomes and will soon be reissued for the 40th anniversary of the Manson family killings. This was followed by the November 2003 book The Prankster and the Conspiracy, the story of Kerry Thornley and how he met Oswald and inspired the counterculture, the first bio of the legendary counterculture figure chronicling Thornley's amazing and tragic life. Additionally, he is the author of The Beast of Adam Go Rightly, collected rantings 1992-2004, featuring many articles from his formative years in the zine scene and onward into the new millennium. He's been a radio guest on talk shows across the U.S., Canada, and Ireland, and his articles have appeared in numerous publications such as The Excluded Middle, UFO Magazine, Paranoia, Steam Shovel Press, and 424, the largest soccer magazine in Great Britain. You can find out much more from Adam at his website or blog. Let me run them down for you first. The official website, adamgorightly.com, A-D-A-M-G-O-R-I-G-H-T-L-Y.com. Pretty simple, and if you want up-to-the-minute fresh news and insights from Adam Go Rightly, you definitely want to stop by his blog, Adam Go Rightly's Untamed Dimensions. The web URL is gorightly, G-O-R-I-G-H-T-L-Y, dot wordpress dot com. Pretty simple. We talk a little bit about it at the end of this week's interview. Definitely a fun place to visit and a website I really enjoy stopping by every day to see what Adam has up his sleeve at Untamed Dimensions. Without any further ado, let's rock and roll. This interview was recorded on January 13th, 2009. Adam Go Rightly, talking about James Shelby Downard's Mystical War on BOA Audio, Season 4. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Been All of America Audio. Our guest this week's been on every season of Been All of America. He's part of the fabric of the program. He is the crackpot historian himself. The illuminated and illustrious Adam Go Rightly. He's got a new book out, James Shelby Downard's Mystical War. That's what we're going to be talking about this week. For the folks who don't listen to the baseball special and think there's nothing good in there, well, they didn't realize that we've been talking about this book since uh, that little mini interview on the baseball special. So now we're really going to delve into it on the program tonight. Adam Go Rightly, welcome back to Ben All of America Audio. Uh, you're really racking up the appearances here. It's great to have you on the show. Yeah, this is number four, I guess. I believe so, yes. You're almost yeah. in the five-timers club. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I heard about, yeah, you uh, were talking about a five-timers club in a recent episode. Okay, well, <laughs> maybe, maybe get me on the uh, baseball special again. There you go. Then you'll be in the five-timers. Yeah. You got the new book out. came out this fall, James Shelby Downard's Mystical War. I guess folks who don't know who you are should check out the previous episodes uh, that you've been on, especially the three-hour one we did way back in Season 1. So we'll skip over the bio background on Adam Go Rightly, and we'll just get into James Shelby Downard. And I want to find out first, uh, you know, give us a little thumbnail look of who is James Shelby Downard and then sort of segue that into, uh, you know, what made you decide to look into JSD, as, as we'll start to call him, I think, as the interview goes on. Uh, what made you look into him, uh, you know, recently and end up putting the book out? Okay, uh, Downard first came into uh, pop culture consciousness, you know, back in about 20 years ago in an anthology called uh, 
Apocalypse Culture, you might have heard of, put out by uh, uh, Feral House. Mm -hmm. And this was really the first time any of Downard's material had been uh, really seen before, entered the uh, popular consciousness of folks. And it uh, made quite a stir over the years, and uh, the uh, essay in question was, uh, it's gone by different names over the years, but uh, most commonly known as King Kill 33, which looked into the assassination of uh, JFK. And basically the premise of that uh, essay was that it was a Freemasonic conspiracy that was behind Kennedy's assassination, and it was all plotted on the 33rd degree uh, latitude, and uh, it has to do with a lot of other occult uh, symbolism. And uh, he looked into what's called ominatology, which is the uh, science of names. So it was... Basically, uh, saying that you know it was all related to the 33rd degree latitude and different names and Freemasonry and all this type of stuff, and a very uh, fascinating uh, theory. And like I said, it kind of made a uh, stir and it resonated with the conspiracy fringe culture over the year. And uh, old Downard kind of took on a mythical uh, status with folks. So. But not much was known about him. He was pretty um, obscure character, kind of uh, really a, a recluse, it seemed, because not too many people, you know, he, he was never on any interviews or this type of stuff. And there was like one photo of him circulating that wasn't really a photo. It was more artist depiction taken from a photo. So Wow. Uh, yeah, so a lot of people got curious that this guy even exists, uh, and that speculation was around there for, that was one of the reasons I looked into it, that uh, some people suggested that uh, Michael Anthony Hoffman, for one, who he wrote uh, King Kill 33 with, along with Adam Parfrey and another writer by the name of William Grimstad, who wrote a couple books, Weird America and uh, Rebirth of Penn, under the name of James Brandon. One popular theory was that these guys basically created Downard, that he was a uh, literary hoax, have you? Yeah. That was one of the areas I looked into when I was writing the book to find out, uh, did this uh, Downard character actually exist? On the background of uh, Downard, in recent, uh, the last couple of years, there's been a uh, autobiography that's came out called uh, The Carnivals of Life and Death. It's the biography of James Shelby Downard. Mm -hmm. might not have the title exactly right, but uh, that book looks at like the first uh, 25 years of his life. And it's it's really a uh, quite a bizarre Book, most people pick it up and go, what the hell is this? You know, yeah. it's it's hard to swallow because it really paints the picture of a young lad who at the age of like five became uh, sucked into some type of Freemasonic conspiracy. And he believed he was this Freemasonic uh, scapegoat. And in those early episodes in this book, this young tyke, four or five years old, time and again goes up to battle with these uh, various Freemasonic uh, spooks and uh, seems to prevail in most instances. These guys are trying to uh, kill him or 
basically put him in the middle of certain uh, sacrificial magical rites and uh, it's really a bizarre uh, story and so Downard grew up according to him in this uh, life where he was this Masonic scapegoat and and uh, was really uh, one of the first uh, victims of MK Ultra mind control uh, before you know the name got into the uh, parlance of the intelligence agencies he said they were using a lot of these MK Ultra techniques on him uh, way back when and um, he also said that it was uh, really a lot of the practitioners these Freemasonic adversaries they grew out of the uh, OSS the Office of Strategic uh, Services which uh, eventually evolved into the uh, CIA Mm -hmm. A lot to chew on there. Yeah, yeah. This guy, it was bizarre, and especially some of the stuff you're referencing here about his childhood that you talk about in the book, too. Really weird stuff. Mm -hmm. Now, I was going to mention, too, and you kind of touched on it already here, the, the line in the book, and even Lauren Coleman picked it up in uh, his outstanding review of the book on the Coffee Cat Effect blog. You put in the book, some cynics have gone so far as to suggest, you know, that Michael Hoffman and these other guys uh, created... James Shelby Downer. Now, have you established pretty much uh, to your satisfaction that that uh, JSD was a real guy and not and not a hoax or, or a creation of these these characters? I, th I think I have established that uh, at least to my satisfaction, and I looked into this pretty deeply. And for a long time, I was had almost convinced myself that he didn't exist. Uh, one of the first things I started doing was uh, using different uh, services, internet services, and background checks. And I was not coming up with anything from Downard. There was a couple James Downards in the uh, country, but uh, the ages were all different, and yeah. it was you know it was obvious it wasn't the James Shelby Downard. And so at first I was thinking, man. You know, and I, I use some pretty good services, and actually, some one individual who is a uh, private investigator, and that was the first thing. You know, I started getting that information with nothing confirming that he existed. I was going, hmm, maybe this is a uh, hoax. I had uh, some letters from uh, Downard correspondence one guy named Ian Blake I haven't been in touch with him for a number of years but he was corresponding with Downard or somebody pretending to be Downard back in the day so I had you know actual correspondence with this fellow's signature on it you know that was some substantiation or if that wasn't actually Downard uh, signing that letter and dictating that letter then you know uh certain individuals were going to uh, quite an extent to perpetuate uh, this hoax. So I started looking into all the uh, published material on uh, Downard and uh, the first reference to him in uh, early popular culture was in uh, Robert Anton Wilson's book Cosmic Trigger Part 1 and uh, Wilson put that out in the mid-70s and at that time, uh, Wilson had been contacted by William uh, Grimstad, who, as I mentioned before, was also the author of Weird America and uh, Rebirth of Penn, yeah. under the pen name of uh, Jim Brandon. And Weird America was really the first, wasn't the mention, uh, he didn't mention Downard by name, but he mentioned 
what was uh, one of the most uh, far-out theories in assassinationology, <laughs> <laughs> having to do with uh, you know this uh, King Kill uh, theory and how it all uh, took place on the 33rd uh, degree latitude, and also how uh, you know it was part of this Masonic uh, sorcery, this Masonic rite. Yeah. But he didn't mention the uh, who the author of this theory was at that time, which I started thinking was curious, was perhaps Mr. Brandon, the author of the uh, theory of King Kill 33. That's what I started suspecting because Downer had been known as an expert in the Southwest, supposedly in his, uh, oh, uh, during the 70s and so when he was like in his 50s. He traveled around the uh, Southwest and was uh, into uh, Fortiana. Yeah. Uh, also looking into all these strange curiosities in the Southwest. He was un into underground caves and catacombs. And, and uh, you know, what was interesting is uh, uh, that Brandon as well could be considered an expert on the Southwest, which he covered uh, quite extensively in that book, Weird America. Okay, so the next reference we have of uh, Downard is in 1978, and that's when the uh, first edition of his uh, book on the uh, JFK assassination was published, and uh, that was called The Masonic Assassination of John Fitzgerald Kennedy, and it was uh, published in 79 by Independent Research in Ithaca, New York, which happened to be operated by Michael Anthony Hoffman. Oh, wow. All right. You see, some of these dots are starting to connect now. It's getting confusing, but also at the same time suspicious. Yeah. So <laughs> in this first published work, it was attributed to James Shelby Downard. And, uh, you know, that was just like a privately, I won't say privately circulated, but it didn't get a lot of uh, circulation. It was kind of a Xeroxed one of those uh, you know, documents you see floating around in conspiracy research, especially mm -hmm. back in those days. And so that was 79. It wasn't until 89 when we see uh, it resurface again in uh, Parfrey's Apocalypse Culture. And now it's retitled King Kill 33, and now uh, Michael Hoffman is the uh, co-author. And so it, it, I started, uh, you know, wondering is uh, starting to look at this is, you know, did Grimstead and Hoffman were good buddies, and they were presenting, uh, you know, whoever was uh, coming up with this material was presenting something pretty freaking off the wall sounding, but also uh, attacking the uh, Freemasons. <laughs> for assassinating JFK, and I thought perhaps uh, creating a character like Downer would be a good literary device to explore a lot of these uh, way out uh, theories that uh, could be considered uh, controversial. And, you know, uh, Hoffman at that time, he was a reporter for uh, a newspaper, I forget, uh, what syndicate he worked for, and uh, I think Grimstead was as well. You know, they made their living off of being journalists. So, you know, that was my original 
suspicion there that, uh, okay, this could be a literary hoax. Let's look into this some more. Adam Parfrey, in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, he writes about this in an essay from, I think it's his book, uh, Cult Rapture, goes out and uh, meets Downard. In, uh, he's living in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, and really paints this colorful picture <laughs> of this uh, character who has sort of a prospector's draw, and he's a bigger-than-life yeah. uh, guy who's, uh, you know, just this, this incredible uh, character. And at that time, Downard, uh, you know, shared more of his story with uh, Parfrey. One of the things was that he was, as a young man, he married a beautiful young lady who apparently was uh, abducted, taken away from him by the his Freemasonic adversaries, and they turned this... Uh, woman into what he who he termed the great whore. They used her for these call to chaos rites and this uh, occult group. You know, it's something like out of Eyes Wide Shut, these sex magic rituals. And one time he discovered uh, a wire sticking out of her ass. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I remember he, this in the book. He pulled it out and it was some sort of biotelemetric... Uh, Device something that uh, you know. If you're familiar with Dr. Jose Delgado, was working on these type of remote uh, control, mind control devices. Is how uh, Downard uh, characterized it. Uh, You know, this was back in the 30s or so, and these really came to light in the uh, 60s with some of the stuff Downard was doing for the CIA under the auspices of MK Ultra, but. As most people will tell you, uh, the common man is usually what we know is like 30 years behind what's actually going on out there. Yeah, that's for sure. And so at, uh, according to this essay that uh, Parfrey wrote, he was actually shown a picture of this woman. She was a gorgeous uh, young woman. He, d- he didn't name her, you know, and I thought, is this just more of a mythology these guys have created? Yeah. Uh, I kept looking into uh, doing internet searches, and I discovered, and he died in 1998, an obituary came across the internet. This is right at the time when he was really starting to get popular, and these theories about uh, King Kill 33 were starting to resonate throughout the conspiracy research community, and a lot of people were picking up on this. And he dies, you know, he was uh, born in uh, 1913, died in 1998, so we can do the math or he's in his 80s or something. And this uh, internet uh, obituary comes out and he says that he died, I believe it was of cancer at the time, and the the source was uh, the the Ardmore rite, which was uh, out of... Oklahoma, Ardmore, Oklahoma, and the, the, the uh, obituary said he died in Nashville, Tennessee. So I looked at that, and there was an email address attached to it that sent out this obituary, and I tried to contact uh, that email address. And of course, it bounced back, but hey, you know, <laughs> we're, look, we're looking at something that was several years old, and I thought, 
Well, that's odd. I, I, I'm not. Why is it coming from Ardmore, Oklahoma? He died in Nashville, Tennessee. This all stinks to me, damn it. Yeah, yeah. I was almost convinced, <laughs> and it would have made a lot better book if I could have shown it was a literary hoax. Yeah, you're starting to convince me. I'm wondering where this turns into, <laughs> where you start to get some solid information here. So keep going. So I did uh, look some more on the Internet, and I thought, well, let's look at the this uh, newspaper, the Admorite, Ardmorite, yeah. however you uh, say that. And I was actually was able to get into their uh, website and track back through their obituaries, and I did find the obituary. Now, I guess there's nothing to say that wasn't a uh, hoax, but it, it seemed like, uh, okay, that has a little more uh, substance to it. It's more than just a, an email that came out over the Internet. And so, um, you know, I, I started interviewing these uh, fellas, and uh, Parfree swears up and down that <laughs> he actually did uh, meet him and uh, had extensive, uh, you know, correspondence with uh, Grimstad and uh, Hoffman, and uh, they started giving me some uh, names, and I was actually able to track down the name of... Uh, Downard's sister, who he lived with in Nashville, Tennessee, and I tracked that back, and there is a lady by that name living at the address attached to the, you know, the letters that uh, old Downard was sending back in the uh, late 80s, 90s. So if this was a hoax, then somebody was living at this uh, residence in Nashville, Tennessee, <laughs> going by the name of... Uh, Downard and uh, a few more tidbits, you know, I have actual names of people. Then I started getting more information. Uh, it was uh, Hoffman who convert, confirmed uh, the name of Downard's great horror, somebody named Ann Whitweir. And so uh, then I started looking at back. Uh, the reason that came out of Ardmore, Oklahoma, that obituary, is that is where... Uh, it appears that Downard was born. I don't have any birth certificates or anything, but I did some uh, internet uh, searches and found some old records uh, back in the uh, 1910s and 20s that uh, mentions James Shelby Downard's father, who went by the uh, same name, and I forget what kind of a business he uh, had. So it, enough things added up that... Uh, you know, I'm definitely leaning to that he was an actual person. We we talked about the uh, photos. For many years, there was just the one uh, photo. It really wasn't a photo. It was an artist's uh, like rendition of a photo, which I thought was odd. But yeah. then you see in uh, Parfrey's, I guess, cult rapture, there's an actual photo of Downard, who looks a lot like that artist's rendition. So... Yeah, I pretty much believe that Downard uh, existed. He's just one of those characters that are so larger than life that uh, <laughs> yeah. it's hard to believe that somebody like that did exist. But that, you know. Yeah, it's strange. It's strange. And uh, well, I'll trust your judgment on this one that he did exist because uh -huh. I'm still kind of skeptical that he did. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll, like I said, I'll, <laughs> I'll trust your story. Uh, no, no, I didn't. 
if I had the money to spend, then I would go and travel to Nashville, Tennessee, and try to figure out where he was uh, buried. And, uh, you know, I didn't uh, contact any of the uh, family. I mean, his his uh, sister is still living in that house, so, you know, she'd be easy enough to contact her unless this was some elaborate uh, hoax and uh, <laughs> one of these guys, Grimstad, or one of these guys was hanging out in uh, Kentucky and uh, dictating letters pretending to be uh, James Shelby Downer for many years. Yeah. That, that's another thing I looked at to see if <laughs> any of those guys were uh, living in Kentucky during that period. But then <clears throat> coupled with all of this, now, I've been in contact with Grimstead and Hoffman and Parfrey, too, and uh, have got to know them, albeit through, you know, phone conversations and uh, emails and this type of stuff. But uh, now I, I'm to the point where I don't feel they're trying to pull the wool over anybody's eyes. This guy actually uh, did exist. Once again, he is so much larger than life character that it, it's kind of hard to believe. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> you know? I know you and, and specifically with the book about his uh, childhood, you know, it's uh, that just adds so much more confusion to the uh, story because all that seems like it's, uh, you know, it's just so damn hard to swallow. Yeah, that was just bizarre. Like, you kind of take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. You know, read it and then put the book down and, and you know, don't, don't don't believe it or go, go like, you know, trying to convince people out on the street that, that it happened. It was sort of, you know, just uh, just read it and enjoy it. Um, or, maybe, you know, maybe he was uh, delusional. Uh, perhaps he was to in a certain extent, you know, like uh, Carrie Thornley and these other uh, people who were well-known in conspiracy research circles, uh, they came up with some interesting uh, theories about things, but because their thinking was so out there, it's like uh, their paranoid awareness was at such a higher level than you or I that they, you know, pick up on these uh, these threads out there that we can barely even glimpse and bring them to our attention. Absolutely, yeah, that's definitely the case. Because uh, as we talked about when we sort of teased this uh, this James Shelby Downer book at the end of the baseball special interview, uh, uh, the Michael Hoffman stuff's been hugely influential on on me. One of the earliest books I read and really just blew my mind. Some of the stuff in there that uh, actually gets covered a lot here in the new book by you, James Shelby Downer, Mystical War. You touch on a lot of the stuff that's in the Hoffman book, so we're going to hopefully get into some of that as well. Hey, let me bring up something else about. Uh Downard in his writings, when sure. I, I started asking um, Hoffman, you know, I was looking at uh, how I mentioned the first version was published in 1979 and how it was uh, under Downard's byline at that time, but that seemed to change, you know. Mm -hmm. I started questioning him during that period to find out, uh, really, did Downard exist? <laughs> I didn't ask that question thinking I'd trip him up or something. Yeah, and he really laid it on the line uh, how that all came about. Um, let me preface it by saying I've seen some of Downer's writings that he's done that he did on his own, not published. Some of it privately circulated. 
others' letters, and he wasn't much of a writer. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, he was a very poor writer. It was his ideas that uh, set him apart. It was really Hoffman was the one who crafted King Kill 33. What, how he explained it was that uh, Downer had been collecting all this material on that theory and had it in a big box, which he dropped off with Hoffman. Hoffman took that and fashioned uh, King Kill 33. Interesting. And, and so basically took some very crude writings and research material and uh, was able to uh, craft them. And perhaps, uh, I don't know where Downard's uh, theories end and uh, Hoffman's take off and how Grimstead works and all of this, but it was really a... Uh, group of people and these guys used to meet on occasion those must have been some fun get-togethers <laughs> because get Downer traveled around the country in a Airstream trailer <laughs> and he'd get together uh, occasionally with these guys wherever the southwest or Florida and they would kick around uh, all these ideas now getting back to Downer's crude writings that was another thing that made me uh, suspect yes once again he was an actual person or somebody went to such uh, detail in their elaborate hoax to write these these very crude <laughs> uh, materials which uh, you know I thought uh, could have been a possibility but I uh, doubt it yeah well I guess while we're on the subject of uh, the writings and the crudeness of it I just wanted to ask also that uh, it seemed like kind of profane in some ways some of the you know he's using the n-word he's using you know uh, he's calling people uh, the f-word the, the other f-word <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and I was just sort of taken aback by that because it was like now, I know it was a different era and everything but mm -hmm. at the same time it was like geez wow this dude's like he's, he's kind of he's a little out there in, in his profanity mm -hmm. now where did you see that at uh, you quoted it in the book Okay. <laughs> Forgot what I wrote about. Yeah, I, I, I saw that in some of his uh, letters, but he was, uh, you know, that's that's another thing about the, when I talked about crude, I wasn't necessarily talking about the, some of the language. Yes, but he was pretty uh, straight uh, forward about his feelings. I think Hoffman took a lot of that stuff and ironed it out or t tempered it, but... Uh, Oh boy, it's even some of the stuff. Uh, I don't even know if we want to use the uh, language on your uh, show. Some of the letters he sent out about the different uh, conspiracies going on. I have this uh, one letter. I wonder if I have it handy where he sent out outlining his conspiracy and he mentions jungle bunnies in it. And he, uh, to everyone he sent out this letter, if you're going to republish this theory, then damn well better leave jungle bunnies in there <laughs> now <laughs> now wow. i don't throw out the uh, baby with the bath water i don't <laughs> yeah condone that uh, type of thing and i'm you know i'm not uh, racist and he definitely was but uh along with all the you know that aspect of his personality and uh, his writings he, he came across some Really, uh, you know, important information that uh, resonates with a lot of people. So you got to, uh, you know, take the uh, good with the bad. I yeah, mean, exactly. You know. Yeah, that was just it was a strange part of the whole thing because he sounds like an admirable guy, and then you read some of that <laughs> stuff, and you're like, wait a minute, dude, this guy's kind of a monster. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a weird sort of uh, juxtaposition. 
Yeah, and I, I don't know how to, uh, I don't condone or... <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, it was like, it's stuff. way over the top stuff. I mean, if, if we're not even talking about it on the show, really. We're not, like, <laughs> so yeah. it's not over the top. I mean, we're an internet show, but still, yeah. um, it, it's pretty uh, it's pretty out there. And uh, one story in the book I want to talk to you about that uh, Downard mentions and has a lot to do with this ritual magic stuff is the, the whole Fatty Arbuckle rape case, I guess you could say, from way early in the early 1900s. I don't know exactly what the date is. I'm sure you do, and how it or may have been more than just, you know, the sensational celebrity crime of the time, but actually there was some ritual magic sort of thing going on there with names and, and situations and dates and locations and stuff like that. And uh, Downard talked about that, I guess, in his writings, because you mentioned it in the book, and I want to ask you about it, the whole Fatty Arbuckle thing. So uh, let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, that was among all these magic rites that uh, Downard claimed were going on to ultimately uh, bring about, you know, the uh, New World Order, <laughs> of all things. Part of it, you know, the lessening, uh, lessening of morals and, uh, and a lot of these magical rituals were using what he called twilight language, kind of imprinting uh, occult or subliminal messages on the the mind of the uh, public. And one of these rituals, this magica sexualist, as he called it, uh, occurred at the St. Francis Hotel in San Francisco, and the date was September 3rd, 1921, and uh, featured Roscoe uh, Fatty Arbuckle, who uh, allegedly raped uh, the actress, whose name was Virginia Rappe, and I have a uh, actually a photo of uh, Virginia Rappe's gravesite, which I just took a few months ago, visiting our mutual friend there, Greg Bishop in L.A. It's at that uh, Forever Hollywood Cemetery. Mm-hmm which I'd encourage you to check out when you get back there sometime. Yeah, I'll definitely check it out. There's a lot of co- cool things there, including uh, the Johnny Ramone uh, grave that Nick Redfern uh, has <laughs> up on his <laughs> website with Johnny playing guitar. But anyway, back to Arbuckle and Virginia Rappe. Part of this rite, Arbuckle, according to uh, the Hoffman and Downard theory, used a wine bottle which helped produce the must <laughs> of an elephant which fulfilled his role as the chubby behemoth. Now, (laughs) sometimes you wonder where you get all this stuff. Behemoth is equated with uh, Beelzebub quite a bit. It relates to the legend of Beelzebub. And so what all this, all these undertakings were designed to do was imprint, as I said, the uh, mass public or the dreaming group mind with certain subliminal energy or what... uh, I called before Twilight Language, and Virginia Rappe relates to uh, virgin rape, which uh, you know, signifying an important alchemical rite. Yeah. All right, now we kind of already touched on the whole King Kill 33, but let's sort of flesh that out for people who uh, haven't heard about it and, and tie that into the whole 33-degree latitude as sort of a sacred line, because I was really impressed uh, how you sort of drew the line there from – Dallas all the way across the, uh, the southwest into a lot of different cities and, and areas that were very uh, esoterically important, and it was really bizarre in, in that respect. So I guess talk a little bit about King Kill 33, and then you know we'll extend that into the whole 33-degree latitude toponymy, if you will. Okay. Um, first, a um, little glossary of terms here. 
as I noted on the uh, back cover of the uh, book, it looks into uh, Downard's uh, lifelong battles with Masonic sorcery as an investigator and exposer of the science of symbolism and also onomatology, which is the science of names, and mystical toponymy, which is the uh, science of places. And uh, once again, Downard as an expert in the uh, Southwest and traveling across the uh, country, a lot of uh, instances followed this 33rd latitude along, which will uh, take a uh, somebody to some pretty interesting uh, places across, particularly uh, across the uh, south southwest, and it ties in uh, a lot of uh, imp important areas in history uh, from Daly Plaza, which happened on the uh, 33rd uh, degree, as well as such venues as Roswell. Uh, where the supposed you know, <laughs> alien crash happened way back when, mm -hmm. as well as Alamogordo, where the first uh, nuclear bomb blast tests, atomic bomb tests, were done prior to, uh, you know, during the, the World War II, prior being dropped on uh, Japan. It also uh, stretches to uh, Charleston, South Carolina, where... Uh, Scottish Rite Freemasonry was uh, founded. And so this, these are the type of things that uh, Downard was tying together on that 33rd degree latitude, uh, different place names and events and how this was all part of a magical uh, ritual. And that's the premise behind King Kill 33 that uh, wherein uh, Downard suggests that a Masonic conspiracy went to, you know, these great links, which I'll outline, you know, to uh, correspond JFK's assassination to what he called the killing of the king, which is in essence a uh, fertility rite. And uh, the uh, ultimate design of the uh, killing of the king is to bring about what uh, Downard termed the revelation of the method by really uh, doing a lot of these things uh, symbolically uh, right in the face of the uh, public to help usher in, uh, you know, what is the revelation of the method? What are they trying to bring about? Well, perhaps the uh, New World Order by slowly uh, conditioning people and putting, putting things like this right into their face that uh, eventually will just... Uh, come accept these things as uh, normal and there's no control over and it's done by a bunch of uh, lone nuts and this will help usher in uh, perhaps, you know, a new world order or end times uh, scenario. Yeah. One of the areas that uh, when we're looking at uh, place names, Downard equated the JFK assassination to the uh, Macbeth tragedy and you know, this fall of uh, Camelot, this whole killing of the king, psychodrama, and uh, Macbeth, you know, in the uh, Shakespeare tale is a king that's killed in accordance with a, a plot de devised by a witch's coven. Mm -hmm. And uh, Macbeth was later done away by these very same means, and so 
This is an instance uh, equating uh, Macbeth with the Kennedy assassination where a lot of the, this, uh, these names come up uh, time and again. Uh, in uh, Scotland, the Macbeth clan has variations on their name including McBain or Baines. And Kennedy's successor was William uh, was Lyndon Baines Johnson. All right, that kind of leads into the the whole mystical toponymy part of the book, and and, and Downard's research, and some that's definitely resonated in, in ever since he sort of put it out there. Uh, the whole idea of place names and and locations and that kind of stuff, and and, and the importance of that in in this weird magical alchemical world that is really strange. So I guess talk a little bit about the mystical toponymy. Yes, which uh, mystical toponymy, and that's a central theme in this whole uh, Downwardian uh, cosmology. And uh, the authors used a lot of the examples, you know, to uh, point this out, how the Kennedy assassination was uh, using this mystical toponymy and uh, incorporating it with uh, word wizardry, which is also onomatology to bring about uh, the design behind Kennedy's assassination. One example is the Mason Road, which runs through Texas, demonstrating how this alchemical formula links significant place names to the 33rd degree latitude. And 33, of course, happens to be the highest degree of Freemasonry. And this is all tied to earth energies and geomorphology. Uh, now, located along that 33rd degree line, you'll find Daly Plaza in places like Roswell and Alamogordo and other significant sites where uh, the, you know, Hoffman and Downer contended that high-tech black magic rituals have presumably occurred over the years. And it should also be noted that uh, Freemasonry's most influential branch, the Scottish Rite, was founded by Albert Hike. Pike in Charleston, South Carolina, which is a city located on the 33rd degree as well. So you can see these this 33 degree latitude and these uh, different uh, areas lining up. Now, Daly Plaza is located near the Trinity River, which was the site of the first Masonic temple in Dallas, and Kennedy's uh, motorcade. Uh, was just about under the triple underpass when three shots rang out, wounding Kennedy twice and uh, John Connolly, the Texas governor, once. And so we see uh, the number three is very important to uh, Freemasonry, not only as the highest degree, but also the number three itself, which we'll get into here in a minute. Even the date, uh, 11-22-63, contains some uh, symbolic numerology, of course, November 22nd, 63, being uh, Kennedy's assassination. So if you take 11 and 22 and add them up, what do you get? 33. So as I was saying, the number three is key in Freemasonry, and it corresponds to death magic rituals, such as the legend of the three unworthy craftsmen who murdered uh, Hiram Abiff, the architect of Solomon's Temple, which is huge in Freemasonry. And this is all recorded in the legend of the third degree of Freemasonry. And so in the Kennedy's assassination uh, aftermath, there was three tramps arrested in Daly Plaza, which once again is very uh, symbolic. And uh, 
a lot of people over the years have uh, suggested that these were perhaps covert intelligence agency hitmen. The image of these tramps has been widely circulated over the years, and uh, according to Michael Hoffman, uh, is the key symbol to uh, this, this enigma of the Kennedy hoodwink. Yeah. One thing was interesting, you're looking at the, the uh, number three, and uh, in masonry, there are three mystical steps, or the three grand steps that symbolically lead, you know, from this life uh, to the next one. And uh, and so that you know that, that's part of this magical uh, ritual. Downer himself had a confluence of threes in his birth date. He was born on three thirteen thirteen, which I found was kind of interesting. And uh, uh, synchronicity or synchronistically, that uh, was the same date of William Casey's birthday with the CIA director under uh, Ronald Reagan. They were born on the same damn day, <laughs> which is kind of interesting because Downard, you know, claimed his whole life that that whole circle was really the group that were harassing him. Uh, initially, they tried to bring him in uh, to their group, but he rebelled against them. Um, and th this was one of the things when I, uh, you know, was researching it, uh, when William Casey came up with the same birthday data is uh, downward, I thought that this was another reason which led me to suspect that uh, downward was a hoax. <laughs> but uh, as I said before, that wasn't necessarily the case, just an interesting coincidence. Yeah. Uh, talking more about, uh, I started talking about the Mason Road that runs out of Texas that connects to the Mason Noel Bar and the Texas and New Mexico border located on the 32nd degree, which is the next highest initiate level in the Scottish Rite Freemasonry. And as this 32nd degree of latitude moves westward, it crosses a range of mountain known as the Trace Hermanus, or the Three Sisters. And further west, it passes the ghost town of uh, Shakespeare. And uh, Downard uh, connected the whole Shakespeare and Macbeth uh, tragedy to the Kennedy assassination. And uh, anyway, the name Shakespeare and, and the three sisters or three witches uh, all equate to that Macbeth tragedy and how this is tied into the Kennedy assassination. And as this 33rd degree line as you move west to Arizona, it crosses the old Ruby Road Trail which leads to a ghost town once known as Ruby. And in the early part of the century, the town of Ruby was the site of a lot of uh, brutal murders, which allegedly contained uh, ritualistic aspects. And from the road out of Ruby, heads north toward the Kennedy and Johnson Mountains. And the JFK assassination, you know, there's more, these are just more JFK assassination place names stretching across the 32nd, 33rd degrees. Of course, we know that Ruby, Jack Ruby, played a part in the aftermath of the uh, Kennedy assassination. And uh, it's interesting that Kennedy's assassination took place on Elm Street. And, uh, you know, a lot of these things seem more than mere coincidence. We all know about the movie Nightmare on Elm Street. Elm Street itself 
was known in Dallas history as Bloody Elm, and it was the scene over years of numerous gunfights gun and stabbing and all kinds of violence, which was perhaps a whole prelude to this ritualistic uh, killing of the king. And just to clarify here, uh, these places like the Johnson Kennedy Mountains and the Shakespeare and Ruby and the Three Sisters Mountains, these things were all named like, I don't want to say 100, 100 years before the assassination, but damn near close, I presume, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's not like, you know, these aren't like tribute towns and uh, cities or, or anything like that. I mean, these are things that just sort of weird coincidences that just keep piling up on, on, the, on the 33 line. Mm-hmm. And uh, Downard even equated all of this to the uh, Wizard of Oz and <laughs> Ruby Slippers mm -hmm. and Oswald himself, who went by the name of uh, Oz, that it was all uh, really connected up to uh, some strange mythology that uh, interwove, interweaves all these myths and uh, things together in, uh, you know, our daily lives. That's the kind of scary part about the whole theory in a way, too, because it's like a Pandora's box. It's like being half pregnant, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You can't really, you either, you either look at it and you're like, wow, that's amazing, or you're sort of like, you don't believe it, or it's just, it's so bizarre that if it's accurate, I guess, or true that, you know, that there's this bizarre connection. And like I said, uh, these things were named so long ago that, I mean, that this has to be a very long-standing and far-reaching and elaborate conspiracy that these things are named way beforehand and a hundred years later or something like that you know all the names come together in this amazing confluence uh on uh, november 22nd so it, it's it's uh kind of scary if you if you open your mind to thinking uh, is this possible well there's the element of magic which is uh definitely part of all of this that these uh <laughs> there's a magical design Weaving this all together, it's more—it's more than just an elaborate Masonic conspiracy. A bunch of uh, guys that uh, got together and uh, <laughs> saw that President Kennedy was elected and uh, uh, devised a way to uh, connect uh, his assassination to all these other things. Perhaps this was some type of imprint, some uh, magical energy connecting. You know, to Earth energies, that's another thing that uh, Downard and his compadres got into, that uh, all of these are connected, and we're talking about ancient uh, rituals and fertility rites, and it all connects back to uh, worshiping these old ancient powers that have been around uh, for, you know, ever. Yeah. Now, and based on your research and in your opinion and stuff, like, how real is this whole idea of you know, these ritual magic and, and that kind of stuff, because at first blush you kind of think, you know, that this is just stuff that people make up, but it, mm -hmm. but, but maybe uh, maybe there are people that actually believe in it. So, I mean, what do you think? Well, what Downard uh, talked a lot in the uh, book about, you know, he, he was talking about these, uh, once again, these magical rituals that are something out of uh, Eyes Wide Shut, you know. Yeah. Uh, Aleister Crowley... Uh, type stuff that uh, certain uh, intelligence agencies, <laughs> he said the core group of the OSS were the same ones, you know, the OSS became the CIA. These individuals who made up that uh, group were the ones who were behind a lot of these uh, 
magical rituals. And when you look at uh, intelligence agencies, you know, they, they are basically secret societies. They're fraternal orders. And when you look at who makes up a lot of, uh, you know, uh, even like uh, things like the skull and bones and our presidents, I put up a blog post recently. Many of our presidents have been very high-level Freemasonry, or they have this occult background like the Bush family mm -hmm. going through uh, skull and bones. So you, you definitely have this tapestry, this history of people who are involved in intelligence agencies having this connection to these occult ritual orders now connected to intelligence Agencies, you know, are such projects like MK Ultra, Project Monarch, which uh, you know have really entered into our language here in the last ten or twenty years. I think most of your listeners have an idea that MK what MK Ultra was, yeah. CIA, CIA's long-running mind control uh, experiments, where they were trying to. Uh, basically get an edge on the competition and perhaps uh, create Manchurian candidates as, you know, proposed in the uh, great movie, The Manchurian Candidate. And there's a lot of evidence that uh, shows that they pursued this by uh, using a lot of different methods. They uh, experimented, used different drugs on people and these uh, biotolemic uh, Devices and a lot of people today say that they're being harassed by microwave machines and all this uh, bizarre uh, stuff going on. And out of MK Ultra came these uh, a group known as the uh, Monarch Mind Control Survivors. And if you get on the internet and do a search, you'll learn more about these folks. And it you hear a lot of uh, Oh, there's books like Kathy O'Brien's book, Transformation in America, yeah. and, uh, you know, a lot of this, it's kind of uh, hard to swallow, but, uh, you know, what, what they're suggesting in these books is that uh, they use uh, all the trappings of, uh, like, witches' covens and uh, satanic rituals and these type of things as a method of control and programming uh, different mind control uh, victims and uh, you know ceremonies very similar to the magical rituals that uh, Downard talked about so Downard you know just to uh, go back to what I said before Downard was talking about all these things and uh, spooky intelligence agents with uh, Freemasonic allegiance using uh, different mind control uh, devices uh, such as these biotolemic uh, remote uh, control devices as well as magical rituals to uh, uh, for what from what means uh, basically to uh, control the populace and bring about this new world order revelation of the method agenda I don't need to live in this physical realm. I walk around in the physical realm, and I put on the faces, and I talk, and I play, and I, yeah, it's just a big act, man. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. In the spiritual world is where I live. I exist in places you never even dreamed of.
from my own cynical, skeptical point of view, I kind of was wondering also, or was uh, speculating that maybe a lot of these uh, ritual sex acts and all that stuff was just a cover for homosexuality in, in these early unforgiving era of the of the, you know, 50s and 60s and that kind of thing, because mm-hmm. I can imagine, you know, you get a, like a Senator Larry Craig, you know, the guy from the bathroom stall there, uh, you know, I could see him in a situation with robes and candles and shit like that, you know, and he's like, no, I'm performing a magic ritual, you know, like, <laughs> and yeah. so, I mean, in, in a way, it kind of was like, maybe that's what's really going on here, and they're just like, have to put all these extra layers and shit on it to try and protect themselves because they're high-powered figures and that kind of thing. And then, you know, by by adding in all these elements, they add this air of mystery to protect themselves or something like that. I mean, that's just uh, from a skeptical point of view, I guess, some uh, that sort of came up in my head. What do you think of that? Did Larry Craig actually uh, say that? No, no. <laughs> no, no, but he should have tried. Maybe that would have worked out well for him. He could have had, like, a, a new career as a as a conspiracy whistleblower or something like that. You're asking me if these magic rituals actually uh, happen. It seems like, uh, you know, there is the trappings with a lot of these stories. Remember the whole Franklin uh, cover-up uh, thing? Yeah, yeah, exactly. There was elements of that in there, you know. it, it uh, A lot of it really had to do, you know, there was some... Uh, uh, came out of the whole savings and loans scandal, and it was discovered that uh, this guy named Larry King, and not the Larry King we all know and love, <laughs> but he was the, the uh, Southern Larry King who ran the Franklin uh, Savings and Loan, and actually he was a huge player in the Republican uh, Party yeah. back in the Reagan era, and it turns out he was also uh, part of an underground uh, black market of selling uh, children and, uh, you know, uh, setting up these rendezvous with different uh, prominent uh, people. And once again, the uh, specter at times that comes out of a lot of these stories is that there was these satanic element involved in these uh, things. And uh, what confuses and muddies the matter all the more is that, uh, you know, you have these other mind control uh, survivors who uh, come out and start uh, telling their story and you know they're linking together what went on with the Franklin uh, cover-up then they're telling more extensive stories of this huge uh, network of uh, satanic uh, groups that are dealing in uh, you know all this child pornography and murders and this black market of drugs and all these uh, type of things and uh, you know even uh, some of the more outlandish tales like I believe it was Kathy O'Brien that's claiming that uh, Ronald Reagan and Dick Cheney and all these guys are reptilian shapeshifters. Yeah. It seems like sometimes that a lot of these elements are woven into the story to discredit the whole thing so sometimes it's hard figuring out what's what, separating the wheat from chaff to get to the uh, bottom of all this uh, craziness. But, uh, you know, I don't know. Sometimes uh, just the whole, uh, like, the I think I touch uh, on this a bit in the Downard book, is about the uh, satanic cold out of uh, Mexico. Yeah, I think so, yeah. And... uh, they basically used all the trappings of uh, Satanism to uh, 
bring people into their uh, cult uh, for whatever reasons. They're going to get involved in, oh, uh, have some, uh, you know, sex and <laughs> some cool satanic sex. And uh, also part of it was going out and doing ritual murders and that they would uh, become empowered by this, that they would feed off the souls they killed and that would even allow them have uh, super uh, powers and uh, all of this is really this you know and once they get involved in murders and all the satanic activity that could be used as blackmail against them as well and it's a way to indoctrinate them into the cult but you know what the real motivation of the cult leaders is to be is a black market uh, drug network or pornography and that uh, the whole Satanism thing is just a mechanism of uh, control. Yeah, exactly. So that's kind of what I was saying earlier. Like, you sort yeah. of brought it all back full circle. Like, it's dangerous, I guess you'd say, to read into some of the layers that may be on top when, in fact, it might be a much more benign situation going on. And, you know, then they add in all these extra layers, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, it's interesting to think about. Yeah, just to muddy the waters all the more. That's the paranormal world for you. Mm-hmm. And now the next thing I want to talk to you about here is uh, one of my all-time favorite stories in the world of esoterica. And actually, when uh, when I was out in California this summer visiting Greg, we, we hung out for the day, and and uh, we really didn't talk shop all that much because it was the second day we'd hung out. But uh, the one thing that did come up while I was hanging out with him I wanted to talk to him about, and uh, he really only knew as much as I did because it's such a mysterious and long-standing story. And that's this whole thing involving Jack Parsons and homunculus which mm -hmm. I'm sure you'll explain uh, in a moment, and this jar called Jumbo that was out in the desert that was, you know, uh, it's hard to explain. I'm sure you'll be able to <laughs> phrase it better, but it's really a yeah. it's one of the most bizarre stories I've ever heard in Esoterica, and that's saying something. Uh, the homunculus Jumbo Jack Parsons attempts essentially to uh, create a being of some kind using, you know, primordial energies and strange alchemical situations. Um that uh, has been sort of uh, in the underground and urban legend realm for uh, quite a while, at least 40 or 50 years now, uh, ever since uh, those early days in the desert when they were tinkering around with nuclear stuff and and uh, some of the people who were doing the tinkering were people who were a part of this occult world. So yeah. uh, let's talk about Jack Parsons, Jumbo, and the homunculus. To address that, we need to uh, talk about the Downard Central thesis that went behind, uh, it's behind this whole grand Masonic uh, conspiracy, and it uh, all deals with uh, three great alchemical works that are going to bring about this uh, revelation of the methods and the end times, and the first one is the creation and destruction of primordial matter, which you mentioned, and the second being the killing of the King Kennedy, then the third is and the last uh, great Masonic alchemical work will be the making manifest of all that is seen, which is the final act. And we don't know exactly what that final act was. Uh, talking to Adam Parfrey, who was uh, quite a uh, downered uh, fan and proponent, he, th he thinks it's going to be something nuclear in nature, perhaps, you know, nuclear bombs being dropped, bringing about these end times. But mm -hmm. getting back to that first uh, 
great, uh, you know, act of Masonic alchemy is the creation and destruction of primordial matter. Downer contended this act really happened at uh, Alamogordo, White Sands, during all the atomic uh, testing that went on there to develop the A-bomb. Uh-huh. And that that's when that actually happened. Now, uh, let's talk about uh, Aleister Crowley a little bit. You see, I think he plays into this, that uh, he was making certain uh, pronouncements regarding atomic experimentation in the early part of the uh, century, 20th century. Uh, and uh, his book of the law got into that, that uh, all of this would eventually, uh, these atomic explosions, once uh, you know, we started messing around with this type of stuff, would transform mankind and bring about some type of cataclysmic uh, transformation, and would create elemental beings and uh, would basically bring about an in- integration of the masculine and fem- feminine attributes. Would create a hermaphrodite. Um, and anyway, so uh, to this end, the onset of the atomic age equates to what Crowley called the Aeon of Horus, this coming new age that would usher in his uh, religion, Thelema, as the world religion. So this brings in uh, Jack Parsons. Parsons was a uh, Crowley prodigy. He was a rocket scientist and one of the uh, founding members of Jet Propulsion Laboratories back in the uh, 30s. He's, he actually came up and helped develop the solid rocket fuel technology that eventually got us to the uh, moon. Yeah. But So he was involved in all this, but like I said, he was a Crowley prodigy, and he was the first head of the uh, California branch of the Agape Lodge of the OTO. During the... Uh, 40s is when he uh, met up with old L. Ron Hubbard, mm-hmm. future founder of Scientology. And at that time, these these guys uh, got involved in something called the Babylon Working. Yeah. Which was kind of to do the same thing, to uh, create an elemental being. And uh, once again, sex magic rituals were tied into this as well as... Uh, uh, Parsons' wife, who they met around this time, Marjorie uh, Cameron, and so uh, we get in, we get into talking about the creation of the elemental beings, and uh, Parsons uh, ended up blowing himself to uh, smithereens. Uh, it was in 1952. Kind of some interesting dates here too, and we can, <laughs> that can go off in another tangent. I don't know if we need to go off on, but um, back in uh, 46, he and Parsons were uh, conducting these experiments and uh, these magical workings and uh, apparently uh, came into contact with some type of extraterrestrial uh, intelligence out in the Mojave Desert. That was 46. 47 started the great the wave of UFO sightings with Kennel Kenneth Arnold and uh, ushered, in, ushered in, you know, the modern era of UFOs. And so some suggest that uh, it was Parsons and Hubbard's uh, workings out in the desert that might have opened up some door. Yeah. Now, in 52, um, 
like I mentioned before, Parsons blew himself up uh, when he uh, dropped some uh, fulminite of mercury and uh, in his uh, at his home. And uh, there's been a lot of theories. What was he doing? Parsons uh, was an expert in uh, explosives. He'd uh, actually uh, been uh, provided expert uh, testimony in a uh, court cases back then. So a lot of people thought it was curious that uh, he blew himself up. You know, this guy knew how to handle explosives. And there's been different theories that... uh, he might have been targeted for murder or who knows what, but the theory put forward by uh, Mr. Downard and Hoffman is that he was conducting uh, or trying to create a homunculus, this inanimate uh, being, this elemental being by a combination of high-tech science and a magical ritual and during the course of this uh, he killed himself. And so uh, what uh, Downard and Hoffman went on to suggest is that uh, during the course of the atomic bomb test uh, leading up to the climax of World War II out in Alamogordo, that uh, the same type of thing was happening with this jumbo. Jumbo was that in a container out there in the uh, desert it was nearby these bomb blasts, but it wasn't actually one of the uh, bombs that uh, got blew up that, at that time. So what Downard suggested is that uh, that was that they were actually trying to commit, uh, basically create an elemental being out there, which was the creation and destruction of this primordial matter, and uh, Jumbo was later uh, blown up. It wasn't actually one of the uh, actual bomb tests that went out. Jumbo was actually destroyed after they dropped the uh, bombs on uh, Nagasaki and Hiroshima. Yeah, it's strange. It's weird. And uh, that, that whole story's always kind of stuck with me. It's something that's really strange, and, and we really don't know too much about it, I guess, because uh, <laughs> Parsons and these dudes aren't around anymore, and, and uh, I don't think they really share too much information about what the hell they were doing out there in the desert. But the whole idea of a homunculus... Some kind of uh, entity like that being created is, is really spooky and bizarre. Yeah, and uh, I think uh, you know those guys would be better authorities to talk to if you ever get the chance. Hoffman or Grimstad to uh, pin them down <laughs> where they got this information. You know, this seems to be coming uh, directly from those guys, and it's also tied into a lot of the mythology around the. Kabbalah, you know, I get in pretty in depth into it in the uh, book and uh, quote uh, Downard pretty extensively about uh, some of these uh, theories. I'll see if I can pin them down. They seem like strange cats. I'm a little yeah. uh, scared of them in a way, so I will. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, let me add uh, something about Parsons. Sure, go ahead. One thing, like I was saying, uh, Parsons of the. Uh, his involvement with JPL and uh, the whole uh, you know, solid rocket fuel technology led to us going uh, to the moon. And uh, you know, according to Downard, the moon landing itself was but uh, further unraveling of all this whole Masonic conspiracy using this mystical toponymy, and that the firing of the moon rockets occurred on the 33rd degree latitude at uh, Cape Kennedy. 
and Downard contended that the whole moonshot and all of that was arranged by whoever you want to call them, the Freemasons, Illuminati, cryptocracy, that was arranged so that the first man on the moon, Neil Armstrong, was a uh, Mason, a 33rd degree Mason. And that, um, according to Hoffman, you know, one of the objectives of all of this is uh, bringing what's called prima materia to prima terra, Mm-hmm. which was accomplished during the uh, moon space flights when they brought back all those moon rocks when, which they returned to uh, Earth and uh, ostensibly used uh, this material in occult rituals. And then the whole revelation of method thing has always sort of fascinated me because it seems like, uh, as many of the listeners know, I just got into this, uh, you know, I'm, I'm approaching, I think I'm in my fifth year here in the world of esoterica, so... And uh, it seems like that that we're in some kind of revelation of method period. So yeah. I, I guess I'd ask you, with the whole idea of the quickening and stuff like that that people talk about, and then, of course, uh, 2012, that, that it's just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger over the next four years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, 9-11 and how the 9-11 truth movement really exploded, and it sort of, sort of mirrored the JFK thing. Um, yeah. I guess uh, it feels like we're in some kind of revelation of method period. So I guess I'll just ask you, what do you think of all that and the idea that you know we're, we're heading to some sort of conclusion, and that and that it may be the conclusion of this long-standing thing that we've been talking about here, this this magical alchemical orchestrating of of world events. It does seem like that, doesn't it? It sure does, and it's kind of scary. Yeah, so many things seem to be coming down now, but you know. You, First of all, let's look at it uh, in the context of uh, recent history, uh, the 1960s. If you uh, put yourself in the middle of a certain period in the 1960s, it seemed like the whole, everything was going crazy. (laughs) I mean, really, you had the uh, Vietnam war going on, but you had this whole youth movement that rose up, and you had different anti-war groups, you know, and the Black Panthers, and all of this social unrest. You had all that going on, and the psychedelic uh, movement, and and things were happening fast, and all of a sudden, you had uh, Kent State, and you had uh, the Manson family murders. And it seemed like, uh, and then all these assassinations, you had JFK, you had Martin Luther King, Bobby Kennedy, it, all, it seemed like all the uh, ancient agents of change were getting picked off one by one. You had uh, Malcolm X, uh, members of the Black Party were, Black Panther Party were virtually decimated at, at that time, and I think that might have been a result of... Uh, COINTELPRO, the FBI operation, but you know the the uh, black movement was virtually wiped out in the uh, late 60s. You had all these things going on. You had uh, a couple of years later, uh, President of the United States <laughs> had to resign. He was ran out of uh, office. So that you know that was a very tumultuous period, and. Uh, I don't know if uh, where we're at right now in historical context is any crazier than that. You know, being in the middle of that period and seeing 
the leaders uh, picked off and <laughs> plain view and it uh, you know for anybody who really looked into it you know they were being uh, assassinated one after another to uh, yeah uh, to keep uh, there was some design behind it to either you know keep the military industrial complex going or you know these these guys Kennedy or his brother were going to bring about uh, some change that the powers that be didn't want to happen so anyway just I grew up in the uh, 60s during that uh, period and uh, I don't know if it's any crazier now it seems that that period back then was even more crazier than a lot of the stuff we're going through now but not not to say that that sense isn't in the air that uh, something's going on you know there's a script that's uh, <laughs> unfolding and uh, it's happening uh, very fast I mean just from my uh, perspective i don't know if it's getting older but time seems to be flying by yeah i've noticed uh, that too actually yeah what art bill talked about you know the uh quickening and that that's something that uh <laughs> not a big bible guy but uh there's some passages in the bible that say when those end times come that you know time's going to move real real fast um getting you know the revelation of the method and downward uh, talk they were talking about that uh, these stage events were slowly conditioning us for the uh, end time so we could be a bunch of uh, uh, sheep sheeple zombies that are uh, <laughs> led of our own accord we agree to the uh, terms so when we see things happen like the uh, Kennedy assassination or 9-11 and we accept the uh, official view or maybe not even that. Even we we realize that there's uh, perhaps some far-flung conspiracy behind all of this, but we go ahead and accept it. Then that's part of the revelation of the method is uh, conditioning conditioning us for uh, making manifest of all that's <laughs> unseen. What what what's uh, lying around the bend? This you know recent uh, financial uh, upheaval it definitely shows you how quickly uh, things can go south you know absolutely uh, yeah people panicked you know and it's like uh, e even uh, you know they're seeing their uh, retirement savings uh, <laughs> reduced by 20 percent in a few weeks you know and it's like and that's where we start going oh god does somebody do something government yeah. What can you do for us? Uh, let's uh, come up with this uh, tarp thing, you know. And it's like, uh, well, wait a minute. What's really going on here? Are they just ripping us off for mo more money? This is going to be like the last, you know, one last stab at us to uh, milk us dry everything they got before the uh, this collapse comes down. You know what? What? Uh, what is going on here? And uh, you know, like most people, I'm. When they brought up this uh, the whole bell out and all this, most people are going, "Yeah, do something. We don't care. Just uh, fix the uh, problem. We're scared, you know." And it's the same thing that happened after uh, 9/11. You know, people were uh, remember George Bush there at the uh, scene of the. Uh, 
collapsed towers uh, rallying his troops around. It was, uh, you know, a lot of people have equated it to Hitler's Reichstag, where he basically whipped up the people into a lather. Well, see what they've done to us. We're going to go do it to them. And, mo- and the country, you know, for a little bit was pretty united because we'd never had that uh, happen to us uh, <laughs> before. So, you know, we're out the blood. But in the big picture of things, you know, it was a few thousand uh, people. Uh, it was just a, a blip on all the tragedy that goes on uh, every day, but it was a it seemed like a mechanism. And this is what uh, Mae Russell, the conspiracy researcher, and I think I mentioned her a bit in the book, that she called a strategy of tension that was designed to do the same thing that uh, 9-11 did. Uh, she died before 9-11, but she said the Manson family murders basically accomplished the whole similar uh, thing where it was orchestrated and she believed it was a military intelligence thing. I don't, I'm not saying I subscribe to that 100%, but it basically um, helped bring it into uh, a lot of the anti-war movement and painted uh, hippies in a much darker, <laughs> di- light, different, yeah. d- darker light. So uh, episodes like that in Kent State and Altamont uh, Rock Festival where the Hells Angels uh, brutally uh, clubbed uh, somebody to death uh, was uh, creating an atmosphere in a uh, America where, you know, people could be manipulated using these different uh, episodes. Uh, Jonestown was another uh, incident uh, that bringing about this uh, strategy of uh, tension, pushing us uh, closer to whatever you want to call it, a police state, new world order, where people um, feel they're becoming uh, powerless and there's all kinds of boogeymen out to get them. Let's turn more uh, power, more money, uh, taxes over to somebody to to, uh, take care of us. I don't know if I'm answering your question, but uh, I try to put these things into uh, context, and I don't know anything for sure, but uh, there seems to be that buzz in the air that uh, we're at an epoch. Yeah, that's for sure, and just the the recent election kind of just shows how people are sort of yearning for this change, but Mm -hmm. we don't know what the change is going to be, so, (laughs) you know, uh, we may be being hoodwinked into you know, mm-hmm. hoping for change, and the next thing you know, we're part of a North American union and and uh, all kinds of crazy shit's going on. So who knows? It's, uh, it's scary. But I think uh, just to sort of go back to what you were talking about um, with how the 60s were pretty wild and everything, and mm-hmm. were they any wilder than now, uh, maybe that was the method, and we're, now we're in the revelation part. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because I yeah. think that sort of – the whole 60s thing with the assassinations and then all the events you just talked about, Altamont and uh, the Manson killings and all that stuff, seems like uh, after that, people sort of just like, they just didn't have the same amount of passion about about America or life or whatever. I don't know. It sort of sapped the energy out of America. I mean, I wasn't around, you know, I can't really speak to that on a personal level, but it does seem like, you know, things were happening in the 60s where change was in the air, and then all of a sudden all the wind got taken out of the sails. Um, then maybe that was the method, and then the revelations coming up now where 
with the whole influx of information with the internet and all that stuff and 24-hour media and all these different, mm -hmm. just the whole mass of, of media that's out there nowadays, you know, it seems like that's fueling the revelation part where more people are becoming aware of what's going on, but it also at the same time, even though more people are aware, it seems like we're way too far down the rabbit hole to do anything about it. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I'm just sort of, now I'm just sort of like rambling on my own soapbox of, of, of theories and what have you, but that's just sort of how I took the revelation of method, you know, with the obvious, uh, you know, coda that it that you have to say, you know, if this is all real. Do you know what I mean? We could also yeah. be, you know, we also may have just taken too many bong hits in college or something. <laughs> so <laughs> we may be looking into it more than we think. But at the same time, if it's true, it does seem like we're at the, the revelation part of the revelation of method. You know, we're, we'll see what happens, I guess. That's sort of the way this whole uh, esoteric world's unfold. Yeah, and you know, part of that revelation of the method I was talking about, it's uh, the conditioning of uh, everybody. Uh, it seems like the fleecing of America is going on. It, it uh, escalation of all these uh, rip-offs like this Madoff guy. Yeah. How many more of those are there and at what point do people start, uh, you know, uh, taking out their uh, frustration and anger and, with, you know, it leads to uh, civil unrest, that'd be, you know, that's the next step or we've been conditioned uh, so much that we're just going to, uh, there's no fight left in us. <laughs> we've been so saturated with this, uh, first the method and now the uh, revelation that uh, we've become uh, kind of... Uh, you know, happy, fat, and uh, sappy with all the uh, things we've been uh, conditioned uh, with, the uh, spectator society, consumer society, uh, that, uh, you know, the entertainment uh, yeah. into the Internet and all these video games and all this type of uh, stuff that as a uh, people, as a nation, we don't have the wherewithal to... Uh, you know, if uh, one day soon uh, the electricity grids go out and we don't have water and these type of things, how are we going to handle that? Are we going to come together and uh, work with our neighbor and use old Yankee ingenuity, or are we going to become a uh, country of looters and little warring factions? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Just, uh, talk, talking out loud, you know, but these are some possibilities, so... Uh, I, I try to be optimistic, but you also got to kind of prepare for the worst. Absolutely, yeah, for sure. However way you want to do that, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> reserves of food or finding a self place for yourself out in the uh, country or f forming better relations with uh, the people who live all around you, uh, I, I don't know. No, I'm going to pass on that last one, but no. I'm well, kidding. yeah, no, I, <laughs> I, I hear you. I'm pretty antisocial myself. but. <laughs> and then uh, you sort of piqued a question here for me, and uh, you've done mm -hmm. a lot of research into the JFK assassination. Yeah. The, the question here is sort of like the 400-pound elephant in the room of the last uh, three months, mm -hmm. and I'm going to try and handle this as delicately as possible, but there's a lot of fear, I think, uh, not just among esoteric circles, but also of 
uh, in the mainstream people, but they don't talk about it. I think Bill Maher mentioned it in the same sort of way I am, that, that nobody wants to talk about this, but it's something that's weighed on a lot of people's minds in the last three months, and that's that uh, Obama will end up going the same route as Kennedy. And I think you understand what I'm saying with that, and mm -hmm. I'm going to also say that you know, Adam and I don't endorse that kind of thing, so don't harass me, Secret Service. We're not. I'm a <laughs> yeah. big Obama supporter. Sorry, listeners who complained that I mentioned it last time. Um, I don't know where you stand, but you know, we're nonviolent hippies, so <laughs> we're not going to get mixed up in that. But it is a, a worry of many people, and being that we're talking about this whole revelation of method thing and kind of how a lot of people's hopes have been really up in the last three months. Oh, boy, wouldn't that crush them? Exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, and that kind of seems like it's something that fits into the whole script of the scenario because we're already really down in the dumps as a nation, and that sort of thing would be the complete straw that broke the camel's back and I think crushed the nation or send us into uh, civil unrest like you uh, speculated about. Yeah. But but what do you think? Because, you know, I'm sure you've kind of – uh, seen seen this whole thing unfold as well. You know, uh, before that became popular conjecture out there, that thought had entered my mind, you know, about uh, Obama, something bad happening to him. A lot of people are, I listen, you know, you listen to our, uh, Coast to Coast and these type of things. A lot of, you have people calling up, you know, with these visions they've had of uh, something bad happening to Obama, perhaps even during the uh, inauguration, God forbid, like I said, knock on wood, hopefully nothing uh, like this uh, happens. Yeah, that would be terrible for the whole country. It would be a nightmare. I had a uh, vision, and uh, it's kind of from the Manchurian uh, candidate uh, that uh, Hillary would be behind an assassination attempt, which they'd have at the uh, the convention. Yeah. And uh, Obama would be up there to give uh, his acceptance speech. Of course, all of this has already happened, and uh, Hillary's hit team would take uh, Obama out right there, you know, like in the maturing candidate. Yeah. And she would step up and catch him and hold him in her arms and get blood on her blouse, and he uh, they'd take him away, and she'd stand up courageously, and then uh, she'd be ushered in as the new leader. And, of course, she has a pretty, uh, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's some weird thought I got in my head. Well, that was the kind of, I had a, a similar sort of concern, I guess, when there was a lot of talk that she'd be the vice president because there's, mm -hmm. there's a lot of yeah. uh, there's a lot of dark and shady background uh, for the Clintons where, you know, if she was a heartbeat away from the presidency, that makes you pretty suspicious. Yeah. So it's, maybe uh, he narrowly yeah. avoided it. Yeah, I mean, he uh, might not have any other choice than to have her in a prominent position of power. Maybe there's some kind of uh, deal there. Who knows? Uh, I mean, she she's uh, you know being uh, <laughs> Secretary of State's a big deal, and uh, who knows what the uh, future will bring for her. Uh, I've really envisioned her uh, becoming the the president. Uh, Amazed how that didn't happen. It's funny now that they're all chummy after one of the most uh, vicious campaign of yeah. <laughs> mudslinging. I mean, only in America can you have <laughs> can that happen? That's for sure. I mean, could you imagine her being vice president after the way they went at each other and said, you know, 
going back and forth that either one of them were, weren't qualified for the job and all this type of stuff. I, I don't know. That's the world of politics. Yeah. Now, I wanted to ask you also here, what's on the cover of the book uh, in the lower right-hand corner? That's not the thing they pulled out of that chick's ass, is it? Uh, no. <laughs> that is that... Uh, that device on the cover, if you recall in the book, there was uh, a tomb that Downard raided. Okay, yeah. And uh, this device was among the grave goods, and it's called, it was the Dayton Witch is what it's called. And Downard wasn't sure what the hell it was, some type of uh, uh, World War One decoding device or uh, so, some odd uh, uh, mechanism. And this is the thing he uh, plugged in, and it started chattering away. <laughs> yeah, and okay. this was among uh, other things, like some uh, oh, uh, funny money that he came across, and uh, different items that he contacted, uh, supposedly contacted Franklin Roosevelt about. And uh, Roosevelt sent the Secret Service to uh, uh, come and look at this stuff, and they they took it away. And so th this was just some odd device that had some intelligence agency uh, utilization or some some type of way it could be uh, used. Uh, who knows? Yeah, it was weird. I couldn't figure out what it was. So how yeah, did you that, know what it looked like? Did you describe it and that's how the drawing came about? Or was there a picture of it or anything like that? There's a bit of a uh, description, but uh, this is basically what the artist came up with. Yeah. When I first look at the book, I went, what the hell is that? <laughs> oh, yeah. okay, that's the Dayton Witch, and he uses different, uh, really cool cover. It's a guy named, by the name of uh, John Moore. Yeah, it is a great cover. And uh, he has different elements in there, like the Colt 45, uh, which uh, Downard always packed with him. And in the upper right, you'll see a bottle of LSD mm -hmm. and a pyramid with 33 and the... Uh, Butterfly, that's uh, a reference to uh, Project Monarch Mind Control. You've been in the field for quite a while, and you said Downard died, I think you said, in the late 90s. Did you ever run across him or, or cross paths with him or, or, you know, even communicate with him much, uh, you know, before he passed away? No, I didn't. Uh, I, you know, probably got turned on to his work uh, yeah, the early 90s, but... Uh, by the time I became interested and started uh, gathering material on him, he, he, he had passed away. So, um, you know, I've, I know other people who corresponded with him uh, back then. I you know, There's a period of time, I, yeah, I just never got around to uh, trying to contact him, but uh, I was uh, heavy into uh, the zine movement, and uh, that, you know, during that period I contacted a lot of... Uh, "Quote unquote kooky people, but uh, never downered." Huh. And then, uh, just to sort of wrap up the whole conversation here, like I said, Lauren Coleman did an amazing job uh, mm -hmm. in, in a review of the book at at Copycat Effect blog. Yeah. And at the end, he sort of lists fifteen, sixteen people that sort of uh, came under the influence, I guess you'd say, no pun intended, of of, mm -hmm. of James Shelby Downard. You were included in there, Bishop. And uh, lots, lots of dudes, like 15, 16 people. That's so, probably news to Bishop. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not so much that they were influenced by James Shelby Downard, uh, like specifically, but but sort of by that synchromystic 
movement, if you will, yeah. which uh, I guess uh, you could kind of throw a lot of these dudes under, especially maybe Bishop back in the excluded middle days. Sure, yeah, I see the connection now, yeah. That's became a uh, popular term here recently, these uh, synchro mysticism. Mm-hmm. If you do a uh, web search, there's a, there's even a blog uh, dedicated to different people with synchro mystical blogs that are tying in together the paranormal, you know, with the parapolitical paranormal things that and synchronicities that uh, have to do with uh, 9/11, for instance. You know. Yeah. There's a lot of references. Uh, Apparently, to 9/11 in uh, movies and popular culture before you know 9/11 happened, and so that's kind of what uh, people are into synchro uh, mystical stuff are into connecting all these dots. So yeah, definitely, I can see where uh, the bishops of the world would fit into that as well as you know. Warren Coleman and Nick Redfern and myself and people working on these, the margins where it's, uh, you know, it's like our interest in uh, talking about Redfern and Bishop uh, and myself as well in the UFO uh, subject. We come at it a little bit uh, different angle, not saying we're doing anything incredibly original, but we come from more of the Killian Bali camp. Mm-hmm where we're looking at uh, the social implications and how it relates, you know, the UFO thing to paranormal phenomenon, perhaps uh, quantum physics fit in there, and uh, perhaps we're as much a part of the phenomena, you know, uh, as the phenomena itself that we're helping uh, create this uh, reality that would fall in line, I guess, synchro mysticism as as, a, as opposed to <laughs> dogmatic, you know, nuts and bolts, the disclosure movement, that type of stuff. Oh, those folks! Uh, <laughs> now, would you say that that? Now, would you say that whole synchro mysticism movement uh, and then sort of branch of esoterica finds its roots in James Shelby Downer and Hoffman and those guys from from the earlier years? Oh, certainly, yeah, yeah. You know, the part of it is uh, looking for uh, symbols and little messages and synchronicities and uh, tying these things together. Uh, you know, when I was uh, doing the uh, Thornley book, there was there was a lot of uh, strange synchronicities that uh, led me along the path of uh, doing that uh, book, and these are the things that. Uh, Downard was alluding to, and maybe even a Carrie Thornley, that uh, you need to look uh, deeper than right on the surface of uh, things. You need to approach it from a lot of uh, different angles uh, and uh, open yourself up to uh, little clues when they present themselves, little uh, things that might appear a coincidence when they keep... uh, Happening that the, uh, for instance, in regards if you're uh, researching the Kennedy assassination and uh, odd little uh, synchronicities uh, continue to turn up, then maybe that's a message from, ooh, coming from somewhere. Maybe it uh, 
coming from another dimension. Maybe it's coming from a part of your brain that, <laughs> yeah. you know, you, uh, you're learning how to tap into. It's, it's cor- sort of like, uh, a shamanistic approach to, uh, conspiracy research. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Nick Redfern kind of talks about that a little bit in the uh, memoirs of a monster hunter too. Uh, mm-hmm. Some of the synchronistic qualities of paranormal research. Let, let me uh, give you an example. I might have mentioned this to you before, but when I was doing the uh, Thornley book, mm-hmm. it's kind of the same approach to the downer thing. I started gathering material, and I figured uh, when I get enough material that warrants doing a book, I'll do a book. Yeah, and so I would gathered some stuff on uh, Thornley and thought it'd be real interesting. Uh, one day I get an email out of the blue from a guy named Bob Newport, who I don't know from Adam, and uh, and it, this is at a private email address. It's not uh, one of my go rightly things. It's only people who know me privately would know this email, so there, there was no way. I don't know how this Bob Newport got the uh, email address. Yeah. He sent uh, an email out saying uh, Greg Hill had died, and this was around uh, 2000. And Greg Hill helped uh, found the Discordian Society with uh, Kerry Thornley. Mm-hmm. I thought, that's interesting. I have no idea how he knew how to contact me. So I contacted him back. I go, uh, Greg Hill, you knew Kerry Thornley, too? He said, yeah, I was right there at the beginning of the uh, Discordian movement when they founded their mock religion in a bowling alley. (laughs) So I started corresponding uh, with Bob and interviewed him, actually interviewed him with Robert Anton Wilson, Bob Newport and Bob Wilson. There's a lot of Bobs in the Discordian movement. And he was a wealth of information. He actually had Greg Hill's archives, which you know documents the uh, history of the Discordian Society, Greg Hill's involvement, and Carrie Thornley's. I mean, it, it was a great resource, and I couldn't have written the book about it. And really, a lot of the book is about uh, the history of the Discordian Society and Robert Anton Wilson. And so, anyway, later on, I asked. Bob, how did you know how to contact me? And he had no idea. What? That's weird. Yeah. He just and I don't think he was bullshitting me. And he's he's one of those people who are uh, these kind of things happen to him. And so that's that magical, synchro, mystical tapping into synchronicity thing, and that happened throughout the. Uh, course of that book it was one <laughs> thing after another that led me to write it so it, that's what I'm saying about tapping into something uh, if you put put a certain energy into something uh, it'll lead you along that path and I think that's uh, I'm proudest most of that book and uh, that's that's just an example of uh, perhaps a uh, you could call it unwitting sorcery on my part. <laughs> <laughs> I know you got a lot of irons in the fire. What's going on with Adam Go Rightly in, in the future here for 2009? It's really early right now in the year, so I'm sure you have some things up your sleeve. And, and uh, you know, let us know what's going on with future projects and also the podcast series. I know you uh, – I thought maybe you left the old one behind to, to form a new one with smiles, but I'm not positive, and I'm sure you'll be able to tell us all about that. Okay, I'll lay it all out. There you uh, go. I've just signed a contract to do an update of my Manson book. 
mm-hmm. which uh, is planned to be out on the 40th anniversary, which is this coming August uh, of 09. So that's a big deal. I'm getting that all good to go, and uh, hopefully uh, I know the publisher wants to uh, do some promotion on it, so I'll get out and uh, do some book signings. Oh, wow, nice. Yeah, we'll see at, at the least. Uh, once again, this is all uh, a ways in the future, and we're just uh, talking about these things now, but you know, hopefully uh, California, L.A., San Francisco, and we'll see if uh, we can take it even uh, farther uh, east, you know, in, uh, New York or someplace like that. But right now, basically just looking at uh, California. So that'll be uh, fun, the Manson book, and I've uh, basically got the rewrite all done. So that that's in the works, and uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, and uh, in addition to that, uh, they're also looking at, uh, and this is... Uh, not cast in uh, stone or anything yet, but doing also a limited edition of the uh, book, hard uh, copy that'd be signed with a lot of extra uh, features. And I've uh, working on some music with some friends that would a- be added to this uh, package, some original uh, music, a couple songs that have to do with the Manson family. So, oh, wow. Working on all that. Nice. Uh, Future book projects, uh, and i got to get on this here shortly because I planned to start it last year at this time as a collaboration with Andy Colvin, the Mothman photographer, mm-hmm. basically telling his story about uh, Mothman. Nice, nice. Interesting. How it's, how it's affected his life. So those are uh, book projects. Uh, also writing for magazines, occasionally uh, Paranoia and UFO magazine, and I have a uh, article coming out in the next UFO magazine, depending on when this interview uh, comes out, and there's going to be some uh, certain announcements in that as well about a certain Fortean society, I think, so stay tuned. Uh, Interesting. That's quite a teaser. I, I don't want to spill more beans than that because it's all... In the works. All right, nice. Check that out in UFO Magazine. So that's uh, some of the writing stuff with uh, podcast world. I quit doing my Untamed Dimensions. uh, Where are we at here? Uh, Oh, several months ago for a variety of uh, reasons. But I am doing a uh, podcast called The Untamed Grassy Knoll. (laughs) <laughs> yes. Which is uh, I'm doing with Visigoth of the uh, show Beyond the Grassy Knoll. We get together uh, once a month, the last Friday, and it's from uh, 7 to 9 uh, Pacific Standard Time, live show streaming over the Internet, and we take uh, callers. So I'm kind of keeping my uh, toes in the water there, and uh, uh, we usually have uh, guests on. The last one we had... Uh, guy you've had on a lot, Jim Mars, that was interesting, but it's live freeform radio, and that episode with Mars, it was marred by uh, (laughs) a lot of minor disasters, things were going wrong, but uh, Jim rolled with the punches, and he was real (laughs) cool about it, so (laughs) that's that's live radio, so I look forward to doing that uh, once a month, that's 
going on. I think that's, uh, yeah, that's basically what I got going on. It, uh, yeah, it's going to be a busy year. And then people can check out your stuff at gorightly.wordpress.com. That's your blog. So yeah. check that out. Lots of, uh, sexy 1960s ladies on there as well. So if you're into that sort of thing, Devil Girl of the Month, and I'm scrolling mm-hmm. down now and looking at the girl dressed as a bunny. I'm liking that a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that might be my new desktop wallpaper. I'm not sure yet. Yeah, that's cool. There's a, a website uh, called uh, Humans in Rabbit Suits. That was just one of the uh, photos there on that website. You know, I try to do a little internet surfing now and then when I find something that, uh, you know, like that photo there. Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a keeper for sure. You got to put her up. Yeah, folks, got to check out gorightly.wordpress.com, know what we're talking about. Where can and I've done, done a whole series of, uh, I call them the Go Rightly Go-Go Dancers. It's kind of a put-on thing that uh, I have this group of Go-Go Dancers, and you see them all there on the right side, pictures of... Uh, Things from the uh, 60s, like you mentioned. But yeah. For a while, I was posting a bunch of videos when I'd come across some of old uh, go-go dancers from the uh, 60s. So I guess, yeah, it's varied interests, you know. There's yeah, yeah, it's an off-the-wall things. blog, but it's definitely yeah. worth checking out. It's one I try to frequent as much as possible. And where can folks pick up James Shelby Downer's Mystical War? Uh, Amazon, I presume, and where fine books are sold online? Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically, it's online deal, Amazon. Uh, You'll get it. I get need to get it up on my AdamGoRightly.com and get the rest of my books there. And uh, if people email me uh, too, I don't have a PayPal link for this, but a lot of times, uh, you know, I sell a few books here and there. If people want them uh, signed directly from the author, then uh, you know they can just uh, email me, and we can uh, do that through PayPal or whatever. I personally like to uh, do that if I find a book I'm interested in. If I can go directly to the uh, author and, uh, you know, give him a, him or her a bigger uh, share of the proceeds, uh, and you can also get it signed. So Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. I was going to ask you that if you had a preferred method. That way, uh, you know, it's tough out there. As much as you can get extra, you know, for the book, sometimes you sell a book on Amazon, you don't get as much as you would if you sold it mm-hmm. through someplace else. So, you know. And I will say that my book here from you is signed, and you have delightful penmanship. Oh, well, thank you, sir. I was very impressed when I saw it. So. <laughs> well, that's an interesting comment. When I was, like, in the uh, fourth grade, I won a penmanship award. Wow, nice. I'm not making that up, either. I believe you. I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> Adam, it was great talking to you, as always. Very uh, spooky, and, and, and as the title of the book suggests, mystical material here in James Shelby Downard's Mystical War, sort of a blending of biography and also uh, various esoteric theories that are really far out, but will really make you think quite a bit. And and there's even more in there that we didn't touch on, like Jim Keith and Son of Sam Murders and uh, Eyes Wide Shut, 9-11 Abu Ghraib, a lot of that stuff's in the book Mm -hmm. that we didn't even touch on. So there's a lot in there for folks to check out after hearing the interview here to find out more about some of these Wild theories involving uh, alchemical-type situations, toponymy, and the theories of James Shelby Downard and and his associates. Um, I give a high recommendation to the book. Very fascinating stuff, as I said. The uh, the Michael Hoffman book was a huge influence on me and my mindset and looking into the world of the esoteric. And then this book 
really did a, a fine job of solidifying a lot of those theories and bringing them up into the present day and, and giving people a chance to sort of rediscover them. So I, I take my hat off to you for that. And I look forward to talking to you in uh, two months here for uh, the baseball special when pitchers and catchers report. Actually, we'll be talking uh, – pretty close to opening day, so we'll have a pretty good chance to uh, assess our teams and our team's chances in the 2009 baseball season, so I know I'll be talking to you in the not-too-distant future, but as always, it was great to have you on the show. Well, thank you, Tim. It's always fun. That does it for this week's edition of BOA Audio Season 4. Big, big, super huge thanks, of course, to Adam Go Rightly for coming back on the show. You'll be hearing from him again in about a month for the third annual BOA Audio Baseball Special. Until then, you definitely want to check out his website, www.adamgorightly.com, A-D-A-M-G-O-R-I-G-H-T-L-Y.com, and you definitely want to stop by his blog, www.gorightly.wordpress.com, G-O-R-I-G-H-T-L-Y.wordpress.com. Always some fun stuff going on there at Adam Gorightly's Untamed Dimensions blog. Check it out. Since we are so late on this week's episode, and I'm quite literally very exhausted here as we close out another edition of BOA Audio, we're going to skip this week's listener feedback, and we'll bring it back next week, I promise. I already have three letters already lined up, but we're so late on the deadline here this week that I'd rather just push everything forward and wrap up the episode and try and get it out to people here by Monday night. Let me roll down the list of how you can get in touch with me. A, write to boaaudio at hotmail.com. B, go to BOA and click the contact button. Or C, join up at the official BOA forum, theusofe.com, T-H-E-U-S-O-F-E.com. Great group of folks there. We'd love to have you at the US of E. So those are the three ways you can get in touch with me. Shoot me an email. Send me your comments, your questions, your guest suggestions, your thoughtful critiques, and we'll read them here at the end of the program on a future edition of BOA Audio Listener Feedback. Up next, as always, is the thanks portion of the show. A tip of my cap and a big thanks to the outstanding BOA staff. They are, of course, Leslie, Chiron, R. Lee, Joe V., Tina Senna, Rochelle Hawks, Richard Thomas, Paul Black, and Lasha Seniuk. Monday through Friday, amazing stuff from the BOA staff. Top-notch, esoteric reading material, thoughtful opinion pieces. You definitely want to check out their columns at Banal of America. We say it every week, but it bears repeating once again, my friends. Banal of America is more than just a podcast series. If you're only listening to BOA Audio and you're not reading the columns at Banal of America, you're only getting half the story. BOA. Make it a part of your everyday search for esoteric news and opinion. Now comes the part of the show where I ask you for donations. Every week it seems like we're lamenting the sad state of the economy and I hear more and more news about people losing their jobs or people just simply desperate to make ends meet. If you're one of those folks, my heart goes out to you. I don't want you to feel guilty that you can't donate to us. I know times are tough for so many of our great listeners and I don't want you to end up missing a meal or something just so you can donate to Banal of America Audio. So don't do that. But I know there are folks out there that are getting by, okay? They're in a good position here during this financial turmoil. I envy them. And as I said a couple of weeks ago or last week, I don't quite remember, I hope to get to that point myself 
in the not too distant future, but we're still just getting by here on BOA Audio. And we turn to those folks who are doing okay and we ask them for donations. How do you do that? That's simple. You go to BOA or the BOA Audio Archive page, click the PayPal button, and that'll get you on the road to making a donation to BOA and BOA Audio. No donation is too small, and all donations go towards keeping Banal of America and BOA Audio up and running and freely available for all of our great listeners and readers the world over. Next week on the program, it is another international edition of BOA Audio, just in time for St. Patrick's Day. The program will be traveling across the Atlantic once again, stopping in Ireland for discussion on UFOs of the Emerald Isle with Betty Myler, president of the UFO Society of Ireland. Betty's going to detail how her organization came to be formed, why it is a groundbreaking group in that country, unique aspects of Ireland with regards to the esoteric, remarkable UFO reports that Betty has collected from recent years, her thoughts on the relationship between UFOs and the Irish government, media, and military, ancient monuments, mystery mounds, forgotten tombs, and much, much more. It's a fascinating, enlightening, and highly entertaining edition of BOA Audio with the president of the UFO Society of Ireland, Betty Myler. That's next week on BOA Audio. Be there or be square. And with that, we close the book here on another edition of BOA Audio. Big, big thanks once again to Adam Goldreddy for coming on the show. And as always, super huge thanks to all of the great BOA Audio listeners. Thank you so much for sticking with us week in and week out here on the program. I hope you've been enjoying the second half here of Season 4. We've got a lot of great episodes in the pipeline for you that will be rolling out on the website in the weeks and months to come. Stay tuned for those. Until next time, this is Tim Benall, thanking you for listening and signing off.